This interview is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. In Practice is an independent publisher and all opinions expressed by guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of In Practice. I wanted to start off with really discussing a bit about the market structure and how the the market has evolved over the years since the aggregators really started to grow. So David, maybe taking a step back and providing some context, how did you see the growth in aggregators in the UK impact the business during your time at Domino's? I joined the Domino's board in November 2013, which was the same year that Deliveroo first went live. And about six months before Just Eat did their IPO. I remember my first board meeting with Domino's and we were quite concerned, or the board was quite concerned, that with Just Eat coming into the market, they would bring technology to independent pizza operators, which would mean that Domino's lost its advantage. And there was a degree of concern that Just Eat were going to give us a headache. Now, in in practice, what actually happened was quite the opposite. And 14, 15, and 16, 2014, 2015, 2016, were actually great years for Domino's in the UK. Because what, what was happening was that Just Eat were spending a lot of money on advertising. And as a result of spending money on advertising, they were growing the market for home delivered food that was ordered online. And that was a, a, a sector which Domino's played really well in. So we rose with the market. We may have lost a bit of market share to Just Eat, but actually the market was so buoyant that our sales were, were buoyant as well. And we learned a lot as well. I mean, you know, we learned about things we needed to improve, some things like quality food photography. By having a direct competitor come in with fresh approach, we could see that we could do that. We could see that we needed to have screen size optimization because we, we could see our conversion rate on the mobile site was nothing like the conversion rate on the app. And there were other things that we learned as well, like the need for GPS, the need for driver scheduling systems. We spent a long time talking about the gig economy and what that meant and having contracted drivers rather than employed drivers. But we were actually very confident because we we could see that Domino's was a strong brand. And because of the market growth that, that was taking place, we benefited from that. We had three great years of good sales. But just on that point quickly, David, about the contractors and fixed and employees, is there a certain order volume that you need to really make sense hiring drivers full time? Well, it's something that Domino's just does, uh, and even even small stores will 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 hire uh, not full time drivers. They're, they're typically recruited on zero hours contracts, but they will they will be on the payroll of the franchisee, and and that way Domino's gives great service. And and all through the early years, Domino's was getting great marks from customers for the service that was being provided because partly because there were drivers standing around in the store waiting to do the delivery and i used to say at the time that there was more competition for drivers than there was competition for customers actually we we at domino's 
found because the market was growing so rapidly, it actually had more of an impact on our ability to recruit drivers than it did at our impact, ability to recruit customers. So how do you see Domino's position in the UK today then, given that the third-party platforms are so much bigger, there's huge selection, does that make Domino's less competitive? I wouldn't necessarily say less competitive, but I think it's definitely a, a much noisier market. And I think you know it has to be viewed in the context of the transformation that's taking place over COVID. Customers now are looking at having all sorts of things delivered. And we've seen anybody who does online with delivery has had a, a generally had a, had a good pandemic. Um, so that the, the, there's a much greater level of consumer trend towards home-delivered food. And we're seeing that expand as well. And things like meal kits being delivered to the home. We've got dark kitchens coming into the marketplace. We've even got examples where you can order a can of Coke for £10 from a supermarket and have it delivered by Deliveroo. So there's a lot more going on. But what that does mean, particularly given the fact that the three big players are all in public ownership, Just Eat Takeaway, Deliveroo and Uber Eats, there's a lot of noise and a lot of consumer advertising, more than we've ever seen in the sector. And I think that will ultimately be a challenge to make sure that the share of voice is relevant in this very noisy marketplace. But because these these businesses have got investors who are pressing them to grow rapidly. So they're spending hard to achieve that growth. Let's just say, let's say we all believe in online food delivery growth, right? It grows 20% per year from here for the next five, six years. Alistair, how do you think this will change the the restaurant estate in the UK? There's going to be a fundamental change. We clearly, just as David was saying, we've seen huge volumes going through all of our restaurant businesses um, during COVID. And, you know, interestingly, you know, the sort of partial release from lockdown happened over the last week with non-essential retail opening up on the 12th. And you would imagine that, or you would have thought that we should have seen a big drop back in that online delivery. And we ha- we clearly saw a fallback, but not that much or not that significant. And what we saw was a growth of a different customer set, you know, people out on the high street coming back into restaurants. So uh, one you know, deliveries are going to be markedly different for non-traditional players like ourselves at Burger King. But what we're actually going to see is what are we going to do differently? Are we going to design our restaurants differently? Yes, we are. How are we going to do that? Well, you know, you as customers, myself as a customer, we're not mad on seeing all the delivery drivers coming in and out whilst we're trying to have a different experience. So how do we manage that? Do we have separate doors, separate windows? Of course, we're going to do, and you're beginning to see that sort of thing or lanes for for, um, delivery drivers. You'll see all of that. What I would also anticipate is, you know, one of the, the British high streets has been very challenging from a rental point of view and also driven significantly by rates or the main high streets. And I think what you will see in time is, smaller footprint restaurants because more proportion of their business will be done through delivery or click and collect or uh, you know some kind of uh, digital transaction and has been done historically and COVID has driven that sort of pace 
at least five or six years forward. So yes, I think design will be different. Yes, I think you're going to see uh, different assets, but I don't think it's the death of these high street restaurants. No, I don't. But do you, do you think there's going to be just fewer QSR restaurants built then? No, I don't think that necessarily either. I think you're going to move into a, in, into different. You one is going to move into different needs. So not necessarily dark kitchens, which a lot of people talk about, but it's quite difficult, you, you know, for people to make money in dark kitchens. So, you know, you're not seeing any of the major chains go into that too much, or you've seen a few people trial and then, then come back out of it. And there must be a reason for that. So I think what you might see is you might see more, a proliferation of the older, smaller units that uh, all of the QSR brands were sort of pushing out 30 years ago. And I think you might see a return to that size square footage. So you a bit like you have KFC who have some thousand square foot units. And you might see more of those, I think. So I don't think you'll see less. I think you'll see the asset type change because you're going to be driven by convenience. You're going to be out of town in drive throughs But that market will get saturated fairly quickly. But then also there's an awful lot of white space on the high streets. And I think the asset type will change to take advantage of that and mirror what consumers want to. I think one of the other effects of COVID is that, you know, in, in the early days of Deliveroo, restaurants were providing food for Deliveroo at marginal cost, but they were happy to do that. But with COVID, now that's not possible. They, they, don't, they don't want to lose money on providing delivered food. And I, and I think you'll see some sort of, rationalization that, that restaurants won't carry on providing food at marginal costs and the and the platforms have got to find a way of doing it economically and you're starting to see some of that in the in in, in the reaction to the delivery IPO that you know can they make money when they're not when they're when there's full cost recovery involved. How do you think they can do that? Well they have to get more efficient. They have to and dark kitchens could be a solution. I mean, Alistair's right. The the big guys are not going into dark kitchens with the pace that some of the smaller guys are doing. But, you know, Deliveroo will have to be thinking of creative ways in which they can manage delivery. The big benefit of dark kitchens is you've got a central hub, so you, you don't have to go to the restaurant to collect food. It's there. So from an economic point of view, it's more it's more attractive to a business like Deliveroo, and 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 there are people that would say Deliveroo have got a strategic advantage because they're so far ahead in dark kitchens. The other thing I would add, and I suppose I'd add to that is, you know, to what David said. I think what you'll see more of the restaurants doing is because of their, you know, the business that people have done with the aggregators, that you will also see them trying to develop their own white label platforms. You know, in the sense of they will be trying to drive the click and collect. They will be trying to drive the order ahead. They will be trying to drive the white label delivery, all of which allows them to make more margin. So, if they can do that and take some of their volume away from away from the aggregators or stop it growing further and get more digital sales in through their own means, even if some of that will be powered by the aggregators themselves. I think that that might happen as well. I, I can see there being a push towards that because because of the expense. And if you remember as well, if you are a, you know a franchisee of any large chain, you're paying royalties. So you're paying you know a franchise royalty, and you're paying some form of marketing levy. And then on top of that, you're going to pay the aggregate fees. So there isn't a huge amount left in the you know 
there isn't a lot of pie left. So it doesn't mean to say it's unprofitable and never be profitable, but it's at the margins. Just on that point about on the franchisee level, like how at what percentage penetration from the third parties does it make it really difficult for the franchisee unit economics to work? Like you said, Alistair, if you've got 20, 30, 40% of your volume at a franchisee unit going through the third party, surely that's going to make it very difficult for the franchisee to make money plus the royalties they have to pay up to you guys. Yes, I mean, I think it depends obviously on a number of things, depends on the level of royalties they pay and ultimately, you, you know, their you know their food costs, where their food costs sits. But currently everyone's helped at the moment because VAT is down at 5 6%. And that's sort of that they're paying is probably 6 6.5% maybe. So therefore, you know, they can afford... You, you know, to have a mix of 60, 70% and still still be making some cash out of that, which works in times like this when you need to keep the, need to keep the doors open. But when VAT goes back to 20%, you know, you don't really, won't really want any of your restaurants doing what, you know, on the current economics, I would have thought between 40 and 50%. You know, that would be my estimate. But, you know, it will vary by margin, et cetera, and pricing, et cetera. I do want to get onto the unit economics of the platforms and restaurants later, but just back to at the market level. So, do you, David, do you see the customer order frequency changing much over the next five to six years in terms of online delivery? I think just the report, you know, up to 13 to 15 times a year, some of these or customers on average order. Do you expect that to actually increase on a, on a customer level? I think it depends on the choice that's available. And, and again, this, as, as I said in uh, an answer to an earlier question, there's so many different ways of buying delivered food today. You know, restaurants preparing a kit to deliver houses is, is, is delivered food. And I think, I, I actually think people will respond to the choices laid before them. And, and the wider the choice and the better the choice, the more likely they are to shop more frequently. I guess what I'm getting at is also is like from a market level, if we all believe that delivered food, you know, restaurant delivered food is increasing penetration, like who, how is the mix changing? Like who's losing out here? Is it the prepared food at home, i.e. Effect, effectively the grocers are losing out in that we're not going to the, the grocery and, and purchasing food to cook at home? Is that how you see the mix evolving? Well, there's a long-term trend. There has been a long-term trend away from grocery in the developed world. But that all changed with COVID because the restaurants were all closed. So we we, we saw, you know, if, if, if it was 50-50, dine in, dine out, it moved to something like 70-30 or even 80-20, uh, dine in, dine out. Now, where it goes back to, I don't think anybody thinks it will go back to 50-50. Uh, I think, but where it does go back to, I don't know, but... In the end, the grocers have to find their own solution for this. And I think there will be creative solutions. That, you know, the partnership uh, with Deliveroo from Morrison's is an example of a creative solution that, that could have legs. Alistair, how are you forecasting that mix changing? And as we get back to some normality here in the UK... Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a bump when everyone's going to go out and do that, and that's going to carry on for a fair bit until people normal travel patterns come back in, and that might be six, nine months. So I really think we need to look at next year before you see the long-term trends. 
what you've got to remember is you've lost about 30%. If you look at casual dining, not QSR, but if you look at casual dining, you've lost about 30% of your capacity in the marketplace. You think of how many restaurants have shut. So there is, you might have said that there was oversupply, and that probably is a fair comment, but you've lost a very significant chunk of capacity. And I think there's going to be lots of innovation, to David's point, rushing in to fill that void. Now, is it going to go back to where it was? I don't think in the short to midterm um, it will, but in the long term it might do. And I think I think people's trend long term will be to more convenience, will be to more delivery, will be to, I, I, I see us going in that way. We're a fairly small country, so therefore inherently logistics are quite efficient from a geographical point of view. In our cities, we live in quite dense places, which should mean that delivery you know, players, when we look at someone like Domino's, who's done it brilliantly over the years, you know, are able actually to make decent level returns on that. So I would think in the mid to long term, that is achievable. And so I do see growth. I see growth from uh, long term growth of delivery, that delivery and convenience market. Um, and, and I see it coming back, you know, back onto the traditional high streets in casual dining. But there's a huge uh, gulf of you know, capacity that's gone out and big shops that have shut, which have had less people on the high street, etc. So we've got to see that over the next year or so, I think. I don't think we should forget that, you know, in-home entertainment's never been better. You know, every few months there's new ways of being entertained at home, whether it's Sky, Netflix, Amazon Prime, not to mention BritBox and the, and the traditional channels. And that, that's a factor, undoubtedly, in people wanting to eat at home. So I, I just don't see it going back to, to, to the sort of the levels of dining out that it was at before. Well, then looking at the unit economics then of the third parties, and I think one thing that's clear when you go through the, on a unit economic level for the platforms, is that actually getting the customers or the consumers to pay for the convenience of delivery is crucial. And right now we have some kind of distorted market view with lots of vouchering from the platforms, lots of discounts, you know, just eat given free delivery. Alistair, how do you think volume could change if the platforms weren't vouchering and, and actually customers had to pay a, a full three to four pound delivery? Well, I think the volume would be there, but you wouldn't be the volume would be there, but you'd see more you would see more progressive growth. And let me give you an example. So you know, if we look at relative volumes, when you know Just Eat bought in the free delivery, if you saw the volume jump towards them, so um, you know customers are clearly motivated by value. Um, there is no doubt of that. And if we see one of our competitors doing a, a heavily discounted promotion with one of the uh, one of the providers, then we see volume being affected. So customers are still very value conscious. I think it will shake out. Uh, you know, in time, at the moment, you know, there's a there's a turf war going on, there's a share war going on, and that's in every that's that's in the consumer's benefit. But mid to long term, as the you know that turf war unwinds over the next two or three or four years, then you know, at a certain point in time, they're going to have to go back and make some margins and make some money, and that will mean that they'll be driving some more costs at the you know at the at a consumer level, I, I feel so. But I think the consumer will pay for that. They're just not going to go from zero to 10. 
you, you know, tomorrow you're, you're going to take them there gently. So I think they that they will, that, you know, I think they will pay for that. Do you expect some level of voucher in when you do partner with an aggregator today, just to make sure that you get the volume required for for like a QSR brand? Um, uh, yes and no, really. I think what we're trying to look for and the way we try and work and the way the larger sort of players work with the with the aggregators is are we're looking for some marketing support. That's not necessarily just straightforward discount. So we might, for the sake of discussion, give them an exclusive on a new product that might be being launched um, and then support that and, you know, drive that or, you know, we'll use it from that way. So we try and see it as joint promotions and we're trying to get, you know, the same level of support and they, they have got a lot of marketing dollars to spend and it's trying to be able to, you know, work with them to do that in a constructive way. So we try and utilize our above the line media that works for them and also works for us. So we try and work jointly to, you know, to do that and try and do that in ways that they're prepared to invest in as well. I think it's not so much, you know, for me, from a strategic point of view, I'm less interested in the the discounted, but more interested in the sort of the partnerships and how we can, you know, build that build that progressively and over time. And I think one thing that's also quite interesting that we forget, you know, one of the biggest frustrations uh, for all consumers is that your delivery took too long or the order was inaccurate and the food was cold, you, you know, and or the food was cold. So, you know, all of those uh, providers have made huge efforts and strides, you know, particularly someone like Just Eat, who came from quite a long way back from an operational performance point of view. Um, and their metrics will be nothing like as good as, as uh, someone like Domino's because Domino's have been doing this game much longer, as an example. Where, but they've made big strides and they are making big investments. So the consumer is getting better value and they're getting you know, the food delivered to them ultimately more rapidly and in a better condition than they were, you know, which is quite encouraging. Now, Alistair, do you see different customers or customer bases you know, through through the different platforms, do you see that incremental volume come through when you when you work with multiple platforms versus exclusive with one? Yeah, I think that's a very good question, William. I think we were very concerned, not here, but in a previous life when I was running Gourmet Bird Kitchen, uh, you know, we were exclusive uh, with Deliveroo and then we were quite worried about going non-exclusive uh, because obviously one's rate would understandably go up and, you know, about how incremental that was going to be. What seems to be the case to me is I think there are two different things at play. Ultimately, we as a consumer tend to have one, you know, the real hard user will have more than one, but we as a consumer will tend to have one of those apps on our phones or maybe one and a half. So it's half deleted or whatever in the background somewhere. But ultimately you'll have one app and you'll go to that. So when you introduce a new aggregator or partner, you tend to, you tend to be seeing a large degree of incrementality. It's obviously not all incremental. It can't possibly be. But you do see that. The other thing I'd say on that is in certain parts of the country, you, you know, certain uh, players have a, you know, you know, have a, if not a better reputation and more embedded as a brand than in other areas. And there would seem to be no, you know, not, it's not quite straightforwardly demographic as you think. So, but, you know, the second discussion, if we look in, uh, you know, on the western side of Scotland, you know, Just Eat play quite well, whereas on the eastern side and up in Aberdeen, you know, Deliveroo play quite well. And in, in you know, and more obviously in central London zone, 
development too, who were very dominant. So it's quite interesting understanding those at, that, that those at play as well. But you still get incremental volume if you, you know, for example, when you add Justy in London, zones one and two, you get an incremental beyond Uber volume because there is kind of a difference in customer bases. Yes. It would be fair to say that you do. Yes, you do. In my experience, you do do that. Yeah. And it's up for everyone else to work out what their, you know, their cannibalization will be, but it is incremental and it is incremental to the tune of, because obviously if you are exclusive with one of the providers, you're going to pay significantly less in commission fees. And it, the incrementality in my experience, and I might not be right all the time, in my experience outweighs the benefit of the exclusivity. That may be just my business that's my experience. But then in your, I mean, what's your incentive then? Surely it makes sense just to be on all the platforms to to kind of maximize that incremental volume. Any QSR brand? Yes, it does. But again, you're going to, you know, it's not as quite straightforward as that because in certain part, you know, only now, only in the last year or so has there been sort of much more national coverage. Ultimately, Just Eat wasn't national until it got the McDonald's contract and then they had to run around and go everywhere. So, you know, until very recently, you didn't have that national coverage. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, there was that point and certain aggregators weren't going to here or there, but most of them go to most places now. Uh, the other thing is, you go back to your marketing support. You're going to get a lot more support if you are exclusive. If you are, you know, let's give me a different example taking away from me, but if you are, you know, a casual diner, let's look at someone like um, Dishun for the sake of discussion. You know, uh, in my, I, you know, I believe they're exclusive with, with Deliveroo and they're doing huge volumes and everyone knows they have to go there for that. So, you can see in certain situations it's it's going to be better having you know having one player because if Dishoom can go to a dark kitchen in central London for the sake of discussion then you know Deliveroo can build an addition around that level of volume and with some confidence so you know I think there are there are two sides to it it's not quite as straightforward as you think I think it depends on size the size of your business um, and your brand and really what you're trying to do with delivery. David, what did you learn from trialing Justy during your time at Domino's? We tried, the, the biggest reason why we wanted to try Just Eat was because we, we were fearful that we were missing out on customers, that there were some customers, Alistair touched on this, who have a Just Eat app downloaded onto their phone and don't have a Domino's app, and therefore, Just Eat had the ability to recruit customers that we didn't have. And that was the genesis of the trial. In the event, what we found was actually the numbers were very, very low. That Because we, we had a very effective mobile site as well as an app, many, many customers might see Domino's on Just Eat and then just go onto our site to see what deals we had. Because what we discovered was that the, 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 the level of deal that we could offer on Domino's site was more uh, interesting to customers than the, 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 the simple deals that Just Eat were offering. And that kept the numbers down. So in the end, we, we, we decided that we weren't getting anything out of it because the number of customers were so low because customers were either going to the Domino's site directly or, or, or not 
uh, or, or having a relationship with our app anyway. But how good were the deals on your own app versus on a third-party platform? Well, that's what I'm saying. They, The third-party platform didn't have the capability to do things like free sides or free ice cream or free Coke or two for Tuesday, just one day. The, I mean, Domino's, over 85% of Domino's sales are on some form of deal or other. And, and, and the platform just didn't have that engineered capability. And that will be a battleground going forward. You know, as, as, as things like CRM and the application of artificial intelligence to tailored deals for customers become more relevant, which is inevitable over the next two or three years, then the platforms are going to have to raise their game to, to be able to tailor the app and the offers to meet the needs of that customer to change to chase a higher level of conversion. I do want to talk about converting third-party customers to your own app and, and direct versus third-party. But do you think that's unique to Domino's, David, where you know that brand has been delivering direct-to-consumer for 30 years Clearly, they can offer great deals on their own app. The own app is, you know, everyone knows they have their own app anyway. How do you think other restaurants have an opportunity to do that? I think McDonald's, BK, they do, KFC, they do good good offers as well. So I don't think it's, you know, I think... They don't have, deliver, right? They don't deliver. They don't have... Deliver. They don't deliver. They have to pay the delivery fee to Uber which means that the offer they can potentially give the customer would be less attractive than what you guys could give. Well, it's a more radical priceless reval, revaluation. That, that, that's the truth. Um, but customers love a deal. I mean, you know, in the old days when people used to order by phone, you'd, you'd ask the phone, the first question the customers asked, what have you got on deal this week? Customers love a deal. So having the right deals is important. And I think, as I say, we haven't begun to see what artificial intelligence can do with CRM and loyalty to get that conversion rate up in the next five to 10 years as the technology inevitably improves exponentially. Alistair, how do you look at offering customers good deals to, to come to BK app instead of a third-party platform? Yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, everyone's going to do it in slightly different ways. So, you know, all of our offers or all of our deals now are all done through apps. They're not done through, uh, they're, they're not going to be done through any form of, um, you know, any, any other way than through app because we're all trying to drive people you know, onto and into our, our, our database. So, you know, the capability is now coming towards the aggregated, but we can't. To your point, we can't offer the, the the aggressive value that we can on our app. So, if in time we were able to convert some customers, or we just build a bigger base of customers, a broader base, you know, they might use us for click and collect and be able to get some of those offers. But actually, that will require more personal effort versus sitting at home and getting it delivered. There is a cost and there's a trade-off that the individual will have to make on that. And, you know, I have some sympathy with the aggregators for that, you know, because at the end of the day, delivering food is, you know, a low-value item from some, you know, £20 item. costs. You know, there's a very significant proportion of cost in that. So, you know, it works both ways so you know we're working very hard on our app and you know and we will when we 
drive offers or launch products or launch products through them or drive people onto it, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what we're going to be doing. And our CRM will be done through ourselves. But I don't think that necessarily will stop us if we launch product with a, an aggregator having a specific, right, you know, are we, you know, are we going to have a Waffle Wednesday? We could do that. You know, that, 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 that is being done and can be done, does drive redemption and does drive work. You know, does drive does drive volume for us too. So, you know, you've just got to be more selective. I see more use of the app. You know, I think there's going to be a bit of an arms race. The QSR chains are, are naturally ahead of, uh, uh, you, you know, because of their scale and volumes than, than others. But there's going to be a, a lot more done digitally. When we talk about customers converting from third party to your own app, if you play this forward, you know, five. 10 steps if if we all have our favorite restaurants and all of the brands are looking to convert their customers from the apps does that mean that we will just have a couple of our rest, favorite restaurant apps and really don't use the delivery platforms anymore well Alistair how do you see that how do you think leaves the platforms I think the technology will be such that you're just going to type into your browser and you'll go straight through to the you'll, you'll just type in BK delivers. You'll go either straight through to the aggregator or straight through to us. Or you know, so I think there's there will be less need for that because I think it will just jump across jump across that quite quickly. So I think what you got to try, what we are all trying to do is develop a meaningful relationship with our customers. But nevertheless, uh, that's what Deliveroo, Just Eat, and Uber is also trying to do. They're trying to. D- deliver value to those consumers. We're all trying to do it, and we're all having success, and or not, as the case may be. But targeted CRM does work. It does drive frequency. Whether that's us doing it or whether that's one of the aggregators doing it, it does work. You know. And Alistair, we, we've seen companies like Shake Shack in the US or Chipotle. They are effectively increasing their prices on the aggregators to, you know. To, to basically convert customers to their own app for cheaper order values. How do you think that could impact the volume or how, how do you look at that strategy? I think, uh, you know, I used to be a bit of a price bandit. You know, I quite used to, I used to like taking price, but funny enough, I'm, as I've got older, I've spent more years in the business, I, I, I'm more driven by volume than I am driven by price. And that's not needless volume, I hasten to add. Um, but... Um, you know, I think one has to be careful about, you know, taking too much price on the platforms. A lot of people on platforms charge more money than they do than they do in their own restaurants. And I can understand why they do that. But I think there is, there is a level that you can't, you won't be able to go beyond. There is a elastic, there's a, there'll be a clear point of elasticity on it. And I can see that, you know, we're all going to be trying to incentivize people to come up across on our own apps but equally you've got to have a good working relationship and it's not about i think slightly we're getting this discussion the wrong way around it's not about them and us with the aggregators it's about we all are together and it is a partnership so if we go out there and become too aggressive and too in your face to do some of these things whoa and next time we come to have a negotiation around fee it could be going the other way too so you know, you we have you have to manage this in a fairly mature fashion, and they are your partners, and we are working together. And you know, by and large, we have great relations, and most companies will have good relations with their aviators too. I think the other point, Alice, is the point you made earlier about the VAT cut. 
my suspicion is Shake Shack and Chipotle haven't had the benefit of the VAT cut and that, that their economics are therefore under pressure. Yeah. I mean, the VAT cut has been, for all of those of you not in the UK, has been a, a shot, a huge shot in the arm for our in keeping it alive. So how do you think that could change the volume mix when that comes back? When the VAT comes back, well, I think, you know, to David's earlier point, uh, people won't be able to. There will be inflation. You know, there will be price inflation. And that won't just be on the platforms. There will be price inflation across will be inflation rate for sure across all all those different platforms and so you know does that drive volume away well it must drive volume away you don't buy unless you are selling gucci handbags you don't drive more volume by putting your prices up it's uh, you know introduce me to the person that does and we'll hire them but uh, yes it will do that but the if you think that will drive people away it'll be a short-term thing because if you believe and i do believe that the trend is to convenience and it is to more delivery in whichever way shape or form that is food kits as david was saying but pure delivery as well then yes there are going to be bumps on the road but the the trajectory is there the, you know this is you know it's going to be a long-term part of our life you know and we'll just become more sophisticated Genuinely, I think we're at the very beginning of it. So, Alistair, just playing this forward again in terms of how you look at the mix between first party or your own app and third party. So, do you really see the aggregators then as a almost like a customer acquisition tool in a way, in the long run? Well, I mean, to, uh, on one level, yes. So, let me give you an example. Birkin, we're not as well represented inside the M25 as... McDonald's and KFC are. You know, what, did, what does delivery do? It's a very clear way of allowing us to drive more penetration with a set of consumers that we're not reaching currently. So on that level, you're absolutely right. So it works for us very well like that and reintroduces or introduces people into Burger King and all the things that we do. Now, so I think it's reaching instead of audience. And if over time those people, if not just about working, but see or, you know, eat and do that next time they walk past or the 10th time they walk past a restaurant, they might come in. So, yes, I do think we're reaching a separate pool. Of, uh, we are reaching a different pool of consumers. You know, the trend is away from, uh, you know, I, view, I think the trend is away from the ready meals out of grocery and will be, you know, uh, even though the volumes might be rising and it will be towards more delivery in a different shape or form from the restaurants or you, you know <clears throat> at home so that you know that's kind of you know that is the way i see it rolling forward and just looking at the unit economics of an order from your from the qsr's point of view then on average i mean how do you look at the difference or well, firstly the the incremental margin when you're when you're shipping an order you know, for, from a third-party platform from your store versus running it from your own app with white label. Yeah, well, you know, this is going to be very clear. You know, I'm not, I can't really talk about, I won't really talk about numbers, but it's going to be a very clear difference. But the reality is, you know, if you look at people who have, who have their own uh, white label, it's not something the aggregators should be frightened of. They should be, they should be encouraging that to a certain extent, I believe as well, because if you look, uh, you know, when people have their own third-party app, about 80% of 
maybe 90% of the volume is actually going through the aggregators and only a small portion will go through your own app because it goes back to how many things do I want to get hold of? And unless I'm that super fan, and David was talking about trying to get to those, those offers, you know, that's what will happen. Most volume will still go through the aggregators. And, you know, I think the aggregators will want to see it as making the pool bigger. That's the way they should see it. But do you not think these big QSR brands can drive, let's say, over five to seven years, do you not think they can drive, you know, 20, 30% of online delivery volume through their own platform, given they have such strong brands? Potentially, but that, that would be the top end of it. You know, I, I, I still find it very unlikely, having run Pizza Hut, you know, and run Pizza Hut Delivery as well, still find it very unlikely with our with our unit labour costs that, that we're going to go into our own delivery. So, uh, you know, I think you've still got that service lag. So, I, uh, you know, I think that will, be, that will be at the top end. But I think what you might have is 20 or 30% of all, you know, you're going to have more digital sales. So you might get that, 30% of that through your click and collect, through, you know, queue busting, through all these different, different ways. And that you might, you might well get that as a, as a body, but a part of that will be delivery. Yeah. But is that also because you think the consumers value the selection and the convenience of the third party app? Completely. So, you know, you're living in a household with different family members and you have different things and it's just easier for it all. We'll have this, that and the other, you know, it's just easier from that point of view. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I, we don't have, you know, it'd be interesting to hear David's point of view because, you know, the long history, uh, the relationship that dominoes and, you know, have with their consumers and their customers, they're coming to them for that, you know, which argues against my point. So, David, what would you say? Let's say these big QSR restaurants, I mean, do you think they could start to really convert or have a mix of like 30, 20, 30% of the online volume going direct to app versus via Justy or Uber? I think the first thing they've got to do is crack the economics. And, you know, Just Eat was a business that made, in the early days, it made its money by accepting orders. Most of the deliveries were done by the restaurants themselves. And now it's transformed over the last 18 months. They've seen a margin drop, but they've seen spectacular sales growth. So I think they've still got work to do to, to crack delivery economics. Domino's has been doing delivery economics for 60 years since it started. So I think that... What's the secret? I can't tell you a secret. <laughs> Volume. Volume helps and, and, and the passion through the organisation to, to get that delivered on time. It's something that, you know, when I joined Domino's, I was amazed at the absolute passion and pride that there is in the service delivery ethos of the brand. What could break the economics for Domino's? And if we see more, if we assume more pressure on the top line growth with more selection for customers, could this hurt Domino's? Well, I see- I still think that the fundamental, I still think pizza is the biggest category of delivered food because pizza delivers really well. It travels well. I mean, you know, burgers and fries are a great product in the restaurant. They don't travel as well to the home, whereas pizza does. And it's got a great average ticket. It's protein light. So it's got so many things going for it 
as a delivered food. And it's got the, 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 the physics of temperature retention when the crust is engineered the way that it is. So I think, I think that, that fundamental position is not going to change. So I want last, last couple of questions. I'm going to open it up for, for listeners to, to ask some questions. I want to just look forward, you know, five, seven years. Alistair, how, how do you see restaurants using, maybe we can define, you know, maybe the strict QSRs versus casual dining restaurants. How do you see them using these third-party platforms and their own channels? I mean, I think, firstly, I think the pace of change has been so rapid over the last two or three years. You know, the growth of the aggregators, the growth of the volume and delivery, you know, driven by COVID as well. It will be interesting to see. I think, you know, there is clearly a rush to digitization. I think if you look at retail, you know, online retailers, perhaps the service experience is much better than it is in than in our world. And I think there's a lot to learn from that. So I think more will be done at that end. Uh, uh, you know, so I think we'll be trying to, we'll all be trying to drive our online experience. I think we'll be trying to, definitely be trying to capture more sales digitally, whether that's driving speed, whether that's, you know, driving spend or whatever that might be. We will be doing more digital sales. I think we're going to be trying to improve the offer. And I think the trend, general trend of delivery will continue. Now, you've clearly seen nominally over the last year or so, but, you know, it's not going to go back if, you know, someone's sales were, let's say, at 10% and delivery and they've gone to 40%, well, they're not going back to 10%. You know, they're going to go back to 25 or 30%. That is for a racing certainty. So, And I just see that growth coming up. So I think we're going to change the way restaurants look. We discussed that earlier. I think we're going to change our menus because David's point about pizza being perfect to deliver food is right. So we need to work harder and better as competitors to pizza on food that does deliver in a better way etc etc so i think you're going to see all of that sort of innovation come in um and um you know it will be coming will become increasingly sophisticated I, and i think we've got a long way to go i still think we're in the foothills foothills and i think pretty unsophisticated what we all do and that's not a criticism of anyone other than ourselves as an industry and just alistair what one quick follow-up on that is that how are you really focusing more on your own digital channels, mainly at the click and collect side, which seems to be higher margin and relatively easy to fulfill from your fixed asset bait rather than actually trying to drive traffic to your own app and then white label delivery? Well, ultimately, you know, the volume of the volume and sales and delivery versus the volume of click and collect, you know, at the moment, because our restaurants aren't, you know, you're not open as you'd like to be, is wildly different. So, no, that's not the case. And I think we'll still try and drive sales and we'll still try and drive consumers definitely into the brand through delivery because I think, you know, not always, but often they are different and new to the brand. And we look at percentage of new customers on a week-on-week basis, and that's quite an important metric for us. But... I think over time we're going, you, you, you know, we're going to be pushing across all these digital ways. But yes, when we get to a critical mass, we're going to be spending some marketing do- more marketing dollars behind click and collect. We're going to be spending more marketing dollars, you, you know, through our white label as well. But are we going to walk away from the aggregators? Absolutely not, because they're ultimately they're bringing in the volume and they're going to carry on doing that for the foreseeable. 
and we need them and they need us. And David, just on the collection point at Domino's, how do you see Domino's changing the, the mix of delivery and, and collection? Well, the collection business at Domino's has suffered dramatically. I think it's something like 60% the level it was in 2019. And, and, you know, the latest statements from the company are all talking about turbocharging collection. And I think there'll be a real push once we get back to more normal arrangements in the high street for Domino's to push collection hard. How do you do that, though? Well, at the end of the day, it's it's value offers and service and range. I mean, there's lots of things that, that Domino's can do to improve uh, its collection business. And if you look at Domino's around the world, the UK is by far the most successful delivery business. But there are lots of lessons to be learned for, around collection by looking at other Domino's businesses around the world. Why is that? Why is it? Why are we so good at delivering the UK versus collection? It's just the way the business has evolved. There was a real priority in the 90s and the early years of this century around being the best at delivery. Right, so you'll increase the selection and price or improve the pricing for collection rather than delivery. Well, it's not my... I'm not there anymore. So you I don't won't know be, what, yeah, that's I'm, for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm on to the, the phrase turbocharged collection, yeah. which I've heard said several times by the new management, so... I think there's definitely plans there. Yeah. Well, like, I'd like to open the, the lines for questions in a moment. It, does anyone have a specific question? If you do, please put it in the chat. I know a couple of names on here, so I might pick on a few people if if we don't get any questions. Uh, but just wh- while we give people a chance to, to ask some questions, Alistair, David, is there anything else that you'd like to bring up that maybe we haven't touched on that you think is worth um, considering? Well, I, I think this is such a fascinating market because the thing – we haven't talked about at all is autonomous vehicles. And I'm not saying it's three years and it's probably not five, but certainly on the seven to 10 year time horizon, I think autonomous vehicles are going to be a feature for delivering hot food. And the winners are going to be the ones that have invested in technology in the right way. And I, and I think, you know, this is not, this is not a one year story. This is a story that's going to run and run. As, as because customers do want food delivered to the home and the economics are still challenging. So finding new ways to do that, harnessing technology is going to be critical. Alistair, anything else on, on your end? No, I think, it, 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 you know, I'd echo it. It's an exciting place to be. You've got to be in it. You've got to treat them as your partners and you've got to go, go out there and try a lot of different things. You do have to enable your business digitally you know, because if you don't, you will die, I think. And um, the lesson is, you, you know, get out there and, tr- I think, try what, lots of different things. But equally, go and look at what other people are doing. You know, go and learn lessons in other industries. I think we learn a lot, you know, uh, as I say, from sort of online clothes retailers. You, you know, you look at some of their service experiences. I think they're fantastic. That's the magic of online. You know, you can look at. It's not like you have to go to a store to look at what they're doing. You can actually spend an hour on the PC and see what they're doing uh, online. It's it's just such a uh, – and there are lessons to steal from everybody, from all sorts of industries. Alistair, just one question then. So let's say, you know, if I'm an aggregator, how could I better serve you as a restaurant? Like what, what would you – 
How can, how can aggregators better serve restaurants, in your opinion? They can drop the commission charge. <laughs> um, slightly, uh, slightly. T- that's not an option. <laughs> that isn't. I don't think that is an option. I think people get hung up on that, and that's the wrong thing to get hung up on. I think, yeah, just more efficiency, more availability of drivers, which is a huge challenge for the whole industry. Uh, you know, better stats, better, better. You know, we get quite good information off a couple of them. You know, better information that will help us. You know, improve our performance, give us more more data because they own that they own those conversations we don't but you know i think there's a lot of thing at that end that you know we can share experience you know how how much more seamless can it can it be you know how how can they help us reduce our in-store time because the quicker you are in store that's where the big time loss is people people always get that wrong but your time loss is all about your preparation time in store and the wait time of the driver that might well not be the driver not being there just might be your inefficient process. So I think any data that you can get that helps you drive your performance, I think is... Um, but more operational, you mean? Like, yeah, so operational can... stuff is really important. You know, there's a lot of low-level fraud that goes on through all of those different aggregators, and they're going to have to get better at that. So, you know, consumer rings up saying, I didn't get this, I didn't get that, or it arrived late. And they, they might, you know, I'm sure they're often right. But in a number of cases, they're not right. And it, how do they? How do you validate that and manage that a bit better? Because that is a, you know, a, a, a real cause of challenge and issue. For- well, and the restaurants paying the refund. Yeah, of course they are because they're giving away your food, or you're buying more food for them. But um, yeah, so I mean. You know, those are sort of irritations, I think. That they- but don't they share the refund? Wouldn't it make sense for the aggregators to share the refund? And if they, I mean, if they're fulfilling the order or not? Yeah, I mean, yes. But, you know, all I'm saying is it needs to be more work done on it. it, it you know, it, again, it's still pretty clunky, pretty unsophisticated. And I think if you do white label, that's a key part of white label that people often forget what happens there. You know, so... But just on that point, Alistair, about white label, because I, I've always been confused about, you know, you, you still need to fulfill the order effectively within half an hour, right? Like, if, if I'm ordering food within, I want to eat it pretty soon when it's hot, preferably. So you still need scale and density on the logistics sides to to deliver the order. Now, therefore, do you see that the aggregators are in the best position, the big, to offer white label? The aggregators are going to do the delivery. For people like us and casual dining all day long, because they've got the volume of drivers, they've got the productivity. Yeah. And so, David, when looking at in your experience then of Domino's, putting aside the scale benefits, what do you think has made the UK business of Domino's so successful? I think the the, the passion that exists within Domino's to do the best job for customers that you can do, and you know, pizza, as I was saying earlier, it's the perfect product to deliver because it's it's got a decent ticket, it's protein light, it travels well. And and with the development strategy that Domino's delivered in terms of new stores, fortressing territories, that passion to deliver on time and backed by brilliant marketing. And also, I would say, over the last 10 years, the move online. I mean, Domino's is a real poster child for the transition from telephone ordering to online ordering. 
So when does it doesn't work though? If we look at Central Eastern Europe, Poland, I think have been struggling. What what makes it so difficult in different regions like Poland? Well, I don't know the specifics of Poland. I think it would be wrong of me to. I mean, Poland is 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 a challenging market. Some brands do well, some brands don't. Uh, so I, I I don't really want to comment on Domino's in Poland. I'm just looking at the successes in the UK. We've got another question coming, and that's around aggregator fees. So if if we expect, or eventually, the, the aggregators will have to start charging customers for the right to call a pizza from your sofa. So, I mean, how do you expect players like Domino's or the big QSR companies to adapt over time? Do you think they'll have to add a similar fee on delivery from white label? How do you see that change in the price in Alistair? Yes, is the answer. I think there will be because I think long term, you know, the cost of delivery will go up. And so I think there will be more sharing of that, um, of the delivery fee. And ultimately, the consumer will have to, um, will bear that or will have to bear more of that proportionally because you can't just, you know, give it away. So I do think that that will happen, yes. Last couple of questions. Another one from Andrew. Um, David, just a little question on economies of scale and ingredients purchasing. Like, How much does that play through into the economics for Domino's? It's been a great strength. I mean, Domino's has invested capital. We've got two very large dough production facilities in the UK, one in Warrington and one in Milton Keynes. And what that's done is allow the brand to deliver fresh dough three times a week to every store in the country economically because of the the, 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 the density of stores. So uh, capital-intensive production, high volume, and that provides a consistency of dough, which is a huge advantage. I think I also read once that Domino's is the largest purchaser of cheese in Europe, I think, or something ridiculous. <laughs> Certainly, Domino's is the most important contributor to the Welsh milk pool. <laughs> uh, most, most, virtually all our cheese comes from Welsh cows, and we're by far the most important purchaser of Welsh milk. Last question. Uh, that's from Eve. Maybe you can answer this one. Alistair. That's around the environmental impact of increased food deliveries and how you are thinking about environmental responsibility. Yeah, I mean, a great question. And we have, on a personal level, our, our, you know, our business has spent a lot of time in lockdown, you, you know, about, about working out what are going to be our sustainable uh, goals going forward. And we've just launched a BK for Good Charter and what we're going to do. And we've, we've also done, you know, very big piece of work on carbon reduction and set ourselves some very aggressive targets. So, I, you know, I think there is a huge amount of work going on, certainly amongst the bigger companies out there. And those policies and actions, you know, will and are going to make a difference. You know, is there more we can do? Yes. Are we on the journey? Undoubtedly we are. And are we better than we were? Yes. And we will, you know, you know and I think that direction of travel will continue.